whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. St. Peter had never been so alive until Jesus called him from his career of fishing. And now to hear his Lord say that he will die, that just kills Peter. Because Peter does not want to lose his life, that life, that presence that is greater than death. You don't know how dead you were without Christ until you are alive in Christ. Peter cannot let that go, not for a day, not even an hour, at least not right now. When Jesus describes his passion, Peter's faith is very weak, nearly dead. Peter cannot bear, he does not have strength enough to receive a cross like Jesus' crucifixion. To imagine his Lord being punched and spat upon, slapped and having his beard plucked, Peter wants to rebel and turn back. Indeed, he wants his Lord to turn back and rebel. Peter cannot tolerate any kind of mockery of Jesus. That he cannot abide because he so hallows, he so reveres that most precious presence of Christ abiding in him. What kills Peter the most about Jesus' prediction of his own passion is that Peter cannot see God in such a paradox. How can it be that my Lord is the one who will tolerate such abuse? When Peter finally saw Isaiah's prophecy come true, when he saw Jesus put on trial and rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, Peter disavows himself. He denies any knowledge of Jesus. He is asked if he is Jesus' disciple, and he says that he is not. And I don't think Peter is lying. He is no longer Jesus' disciple. Let us take Peter's denial seriously, as serious as his confession of faith. When Jesus is tortured and put on trial, Peter no longer recognizes him, disfigured as he is. Peter is not pretending. Peter no longer confesses Jesus as the Christ whom he had believed in, and proclaimed, he cannot feel the same inspiration as before. At this moment, Peter really feels dead because he was so alive in Christ. From the time of his first call, when Jesus would not let Peter's sins and weakness prevent his salvation, to the healing of his mother-in-law, and up to the multiplication of loaves just before this scene, Peter was more alive than ever, as if death could not stop him. What Peter had believed about death before Jesus, he could no longer believe because what this man, what this Jesus says about life and death is so much more true. Peter can feel what is undeniable about Jesus' teaching because of the mercy Jesus had shown him. From that first call and all along the way, Peter had felt death working in his body, but when he began to believe in Christ, he had life. But what if the life that was to conquer death was to die? How could, believe, how could Peter believe in Christ? How could he ever be alive and again? Peter receives life again by the same mercy he had received, and now in greater measure. Those three denials of Jesus at his trial, Jesus forgives him three times. Peter came back to life because of the working of mercy. The tomb no longer condemned him, but was a sign of mercy still to come. The prophets were proved true. It's not just the death of his Lord, but the resurrection and mercies overflowing. Peter will bear Christ's presence in his own person as a service for the salvation of all. 
His Lord has looked back, even though he was not willing to follow him to the cross. And now he will go before his Lord in the land of the living. This portrait of Peter's fluctuations of faith illustrates the psalmist's tale of loss and gain. He was brought low and the Lord saved him. Peter's faith led him, like St. Paul, to boast in nothing else than the cross of Christ with all the ugliness that Isaiah's prophecy brings to our eyes. So what does the letter of James have to say to us? Why speak of works coming from faith? Is it that we already know we should be kind to the poor, but it helps to make almsgiving a matter of faith as if faith were a prod for our good works, a guilt-inducing reminder that God helped you, so you have to help the poor? That might be so, but there is something greater. Surely anyone who has helped the poor feels a working of God's mercy within him. They know that something invisible passes from them to the poor through the visible things that they hand on to them. It is sacramental. And this working of God's presence in us leads us to see that we are giving. As we give, we are receiving a consolation of how God abides in us. Works spring from the faith, from the presence of Christ within. And this faith is hidden, dormant, dead even, if it is never released from the tomb of a hardened heart. Faith gives life. When a people convinced of the truth of the faith gather the name of their Lord in the name of a holy and life-giving presence, then they have no reason to deny a hand up to someone in need. And because faith gives life, works without faith are dead. Our, Our good works might be approved by many because it is so obvious to anyone that a person's life can be saved by the material means of survival. But whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. What is greater about faith than good works alone is that faith can lead people to give away their comforts as a sign of this passing world for the eternity that is to come. That's what monks do, and there's no embarrassment to say so. We monks choose a life of self-denial because we recognize and confess something more than the disfigurement of this world, something more than how the world disfigures us. The church is not an NGO, some good doer in the world. She is a herald of the gospel without any shame about it. She does not think as humans do, pursuing humanist aspirations of global benevolence. She thinks as God does. She is a community of the resurrection who do not deny the ugliness of the crucifixion of sin or the misdeeds of the church, but proclaims whoever loses his life for the sake of Jesus and that of the gospel will save it.